Hello, and welcome to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I'm Dan Burke, your host and movie critic, and you're listening to Words on Film on WBCALP Boston. I will be reviewing some of the newest movies out right now. For this show, I have three brand new movies to review for you. Actually, two of them are brand new in the sense that they were released on September 29th. The third one is semi-new, as it was released in theaters on September 22nd. I just didn't get to review it until now. But there are huge movies that I am going to review for you right now. Actually, the third film that came out on September 22nd is not exactly what you'd call huge, in that it had a budget of $3 million, which is low, considerably low for Hollywood. But I'm going to get to that one last. But I'm going to review the first one for you that is undoubtedly going to be the biggest movie of the week, if not maybe even next month. But of course, we'll have to see. The first movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is The Creator. This is the latest science fiction epic directed by Gareth Edwards. And Gareth Edwards is not exactly the household name that Christopher Nolan or Martin Scorsese is yet, but chances are he will be. He is definitely an expert in visual effects. In fact, before he started directing, he was a visual effects expert on movies. And the movies that he has released have been noticeably full of special effects. For example, he made his feature film debut in 2010 with the movie Monsters, which I actually have not seen. But I did see his 2014 film Godzilla, which a lot of people were bracing themselves to be like the 1998 version, which is called Gino, G-I-N-O, Godzilla in name only. But Godzilla was not only an excellent science fiction film, it also was an excellent film in general. And then he followed that up in 2016 with Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, which is probably his best-known film to date. And that was a film that I saw back in 2016, and I reviewed it on this show. And I did I gave it a moderately good review. I gave it a checkout back when I reviewed it. And the more that time has passed by, and especially since Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker, Rogue One has kind of grown on me. A little bit. I did say it was a lot of spectacle just to fill one minor plot hole in Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, but it was actually a lot more than that. I probably should have given it a knockout back when I reviewed it, but maybe I was being a little picky on it because it was the second Star Wars film to come out in a row. But the creator is certainly has some themes and some tropes that we've seen in other science fiction films before, especially ones involving art, artificial intelligence. But it is a wholly original film written both by Gareth Edwards and Chris Weitz, who has b been working in films for decades. And it is set against the backdrop of a war between humans and robots with artificial intelligence. Specifically, it takes place in the year 2065, 10 years after... Los Angeles has been hit by a nuclear bomb allegedly sent by artificial intelligence. And a former soldier, who is played by John David Washington, his name is Sergeant Joshua Taylor, is, finds the secret weapon, which is a robot in the form of a young child. And this robot, he names Alfie because the technical name for the robot is Alpha Omega, and this robot is played by a young girl by the name of Madeline Yuna Boylace, who is making her feature film debut, and man, what a feature film debut. And there is a lot that this movie says about the capabilities of artificial intelligence, not just artificial intelligence doing menial tasks, but also humanoid robots. And Alfie is not only very smart, but she also has the capability to control things that are electric. She can literally clap her hands and make things turn off. So she's kind of like clap on, clap off the clapper. But in addition to that, like other forms of artificial intelligence, she also is capable of emotions. For example, she can actually cry. And that I thought was an interesting development in the humanoid 
artificial intelligence in this film that not only is it very smart and very capable of doing menial tasks, but it also develops human emotions. And the movie does delve into how these humanoid robots came to be and why they came to be in a very clever point of exposition in the very beginning. But there was one sort of mock advertisement for these androids, for lack of a better term. I don't think the, the, the term android is used in this film because android is actually a copyrighted term owned by George Lucas. But it's the same kind of deal. But there was one particular advertisement where it where it showed a real human being interacting with one of these androids, for lack of a better term, who it's obvious that they are robots based on the design of the back of their head, but they have a face, a latex face similar to a human. And the advertisement said it was more human than human. And me being the hard rock fan that I am, the Rob Zombie song immediately popped in my head. They could have used it in this film. I'm kind of glad they didn't. But yeah, if you find yourself having the white zombie song, more human than human, stuck in your head after seeing that part of the film, trust me, you're not alone. But again, this movie uh, not only delves into how artificial intelligence came to be and how it also became allegedly dangerous, but it also serves as somewhat of a parallel between the controversies of artificial intelligence that are probably most evident today. And it coincides very well with the writer strike of, of the Writers Guild of America that just ended and also the strike of SAG-AFTRA, which is still going on right now. And it's really good timing on, on the part of this film. But in addition to the moral and scientific parallels that this film happens to draw between the not-too-distant future and the controversies of today, it also tells a really good story, and John David Washington does a great job here playing Joshua. This is not his first lead role, but it's probably his most epic film role, and fortunately, he takes it in a film that has a brain and really knows how to not only tell a great story, but also draw a modern allegory. And there's also an interesting love story here between Joshua and his wife, Maya, who's played by Gemma Chan. Now, Maya is not just a damsel in distress. She also happens to be key to a a certain level of artificial intelligence that serves as a sort of religion to AI. It's very complicated. I really don't want to get too far into it, but it weaves a very complicated story that certainly has some amount of controversy within it. Allegorically, the creator tells a great story and also paints a really good allegory, not to mention because Gareth Edwards is the director here, the special effects are amazing. And there were some parts of the story that actually reminded me of the Steven Spielberg film AI that came out 22 years ago. But not only is the creator telling a better story than AI, but it also shows how far technology in movies, especially when it comes to creating humanoid robots, has come since Steven Spielberg's film that originally started as a Stanley Kubrick movie. I mean, that movie certainly had its strengths, but it also had some notable weaknesses. But the creator tells an amazing story here and with a lot of great special effects. But in addition to that, there are also some very good supporting performances here. I mentioned John David Washington and Gemma Chan. Madeline Ulavoyelace turns in a really great performance here in what could have been a stiff and wooden performance. There's also a supporting performance here by Allison Janney, who you're not sure if she's an ally or an antagonist, but the the movie eventually reveals that later. And also Ken Watanabe, who has been acting in films for several decades, uh, also plays a, a droid here, for lack of a better term. And he does a, a very good job as well, although his emotions are a limited a little bit more limited than the Alfie android. 
And The Creator certainly is a film that's worth seeing on the big screen, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. There were some problems that it had in terms of its story here and there, but almost too few to mention, which is why I give The Creator my rating of a knockout. And for Gareth Edwards to come out with three excellent films uh, that, that are of the science fiction genre, and then to come out with this film, which is by and large an original story, and still have this be his best film to date, is an, an excellent testament to how great a filmmaker Gareth Edwards is. But of course, there were thousands of people who put this film together and created some amazing special effects. And in addition to that, Gareth Edwards and Chris White's put their heads together and created a great story to supplement those special effects. And I enjoyed the creator immensely and I highly recommend it. back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is Paw Patrol, The Mighty Movie, which is based on the TV series Paw Patrol, which is a Canadian computer animated children's television series created by Keith Chapman and produced by Spin Master Entertainment with animation provided by Guru Studio. And Paw Patrol is a very successful series. A lot of American kids would be familiar with it by seeing it on Nickelodeon, where it's been in the United States since August of 2013. And unbeknownst to me, or semi-unbeknownst to me, there was actually an original film based on the Paw Patrol characters that was called Paw Patrol the Movie that came out in 2021 and can currently be streamed on Paramount Plus. And truth be told, I was not aware that Paw Patrol the movie was the first Paw Patrol movie. If I was, I probably would have gone out of my way to see it. And even though I was hosting this show back in 2021, first of all, I can't see every movie out there because Hollywood comes out with an average of 450 to 475 films a year. And I see probably 200 films a year if I'm most thorough in my movie watching. It's probably one of the biggest reasons why I don't watch a ton of TV these days. But Paw Patrol the movie is a film that I missed, and I actually was not aware that Paw Patrol the Mighty Movie, which came out in theaters on September 29th, was actually a sequel to Paw Patrol the movie. And that may have been one of the reasons why I had some certain problems with this film, And I was originally going to say in my review that this is one of those movies that's based on a series that's still on TV where it doesn't exactly stand on its own as a movie. And you probably have to be familiar with the characters in order to get this film or really, really appreciate it. And it's very similar, I think, in that respect albeit for a children's film, to some other films that are based on animated series that are still on TV. One such example, I thought, well, one example of a film that stood on its own while being based on a series that's still on the air was South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. That's a film that even if you'd never seen an episode of South Park, maybe the part about killing Kenny might throw you for a loop, but the rest of it, I thought, stood on its own very well as its own film. There was another film that came out in 2007 that was based on the show Aqua Teen Hunger Force, and it was it had a very long name. It was sort of like the Aqua Teen Hunger Force colon movie for theaters. I can't remember the exact name of it, but it was something like that. But my point was, if you saw that film and you'd never seen an episode of Aqua Teen Hunger Force on Adult Swim, you wouldn't get the movie. I didn't particularly get it. I thought it could have been better, but it kind of eh, served as somewhat of an expensive inside joke. 
With Paw Patrol, the mighty movie, I think the kids who are going to see this will be familiar with the characters that are on the show. And I won't exactly get into each and every character and what their abilities are, because I think that would probably bore you. But the idea behind Paw Patrol is that there are dogs that can speak and are also no older than three. If they were three, they would be adults, 21 in dog years. And each of them has their own special powers. And in this film, a Paw Patrol, the mighty movie, a magical meteor crash lands in Adventure City, which is where the Paw Patrol live and also save lives. And it gives the Paw Patrol pups superpowers, transforming them into the mighty pups. And previously, the Paw Patrol were dogs that could talk. They weren't exactly anthropomorphic because they could walk on all fours and do things like other dogs did, but they were anthropomorphic in the sense that they could talk and they could interact with human beings. But here, the meteor crashes and gives them all superpowers based on if they have crystals that are in their possession. And the primary antagonist is a mad scientist here by the name of Victoria Vance, who's voiced by Taraji P. Henson, who develops an electromagnet to attract the meteor and send it to Earth in order to obtain some of the powers that are within this meteor. And her plans backfire when the meteor comes hurtling towards Earth and the Paw Patrol ends up saving the Earth, but also develops their own superpowers, making them equivalent to the Justice League in terms of their powers. The only difference is the Justice League was a lousy movie, and this movie is somewhat better than that. And I think that kids will certainly appreciate it. Its animation level is akin to that of the clips of the show on Nickelodeon, from what I could see. But it does have a very impressive roster of talent that is uh, that serves as the voice for many of these characters. There were some children voice actors who I recognized by name. There was McKenna Grace, who is the voice of the dog Sky, who, when given this power from the media from the meteor, can fly. There's also Marsai Martin, who plays a Dachshund by the name of Liberty, who isn't sure about her superpowers and. It's presumed that she has a cool car, but it's not exactly certain what her powers are. And there are also some brief but memorable one-time voice talent characters uh, to which are contributed by celebrities such as Kristen Bell, James Marsden, Lil Rel Howery, and even one very brief but kind of funny appearance by Kim Kardashian. And actually, two of her children... Northwest and St. West uh, serve as voices for some characters in this film as well. And they make somewhat brief appearances. Fortunately, their father, Kanye West, does not make an appearance here. But Paw Patrol, the Mighty Movie, is a film that's not made for me. I have certainly seen better animated films. I've certainly seen some that have been more entertaining and certainly more accessible to people who are not familiar with the brand from which this film emanates. But I did enjoy it to a certain extent. There were some parts that made me chuckle, and it sounded like every person who did a voice for their respective characters, especially Taraji P. Henson, were at least having fun, and the animation effects were good for what they were. I'm going to give Paw Patrol, the mighty movie, my rating of a checkout. I, th I think it's certainly a lot of harmless fun for kids, and when I saw this film, I wasn't initially aware that it was a sequel, but probably the reason that I didn't really get into it and didn't exactly know some of the main characters might have been explained better in the original Paw Patrol movie that came out in 2021, which I didn't see. But I think it is, as I said, it's visually stimulating. There's a lot of great action sequences here. Taraji P. Henson makes a great antagonist, and I love Taraji P. Henson no matter what she does, even if she's been in a bad movie. She's usually one of the best parts of the film. But I think that the, the movie does serve some good lessons for kids in the sense that there are themes here about 
teamwork and about trying your best. And I think those are good takeaways for kids who want to watch this film. Adults will have seen these kinds of themes before. I know I certainly have, but it's good, harmless fun. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is It Lives Inside. This is a film that premiered at the South by Southwest Film Festival on March 11th, 2023, and made its nationwide debut in theaters on September 22nd, 2023. And this is a film that does not have a particularly high budget. It's only about $4 million, but what director and writer Bishal Dutta can do with that $4 million is very impressive. And It Lives Inside tells the story of an Indian-American teenager whose name is uh, Samita, Sam for short, and she is played by Megan Suri, who we will definitely be seeing in later films, not only because she's a good actress, but also because she is drop-dead gorgeous. And I am engaged, so I'm going to move on from that. But anyway, Sam is an Indian-American teenager who struggles with her cultural identity um, as she has a falling out with her former best friend. And both of them were born and raised in India. Well, excuse me, born in India, but raised in the United States. And Sam has assimilated into American culture a little bit better than her friend Tamira, who's played by Mohana Krishnan. And... They have a falling out, and in the process, they unwittingly release a demonic entity that grows stronger by feeding on the Indian-American teenager's loneliness. Which Indian-American teenager? Probably about both of them. And this movie certainly has some familiar themes. In fact, Bishal Dutta, kind of like the main character Sam in this film, was also born in India and immigrated to the United States with his parents when he was very young, about two, and incorporates some of the themes of being a fish out of water who's trying to assimilate into his adopted American culture while also simultaneously trying, as he might, to be true to his Indian origin. There there are some notable themes of, of that kind of assimilation that strike very true here, but in addition to that, the paranormal entity that begins to haunt Sam in this film is at many times very scary. I think actually the climax of this film could have been a bit scarier, but for a first-time feature filmmaker like Bishal Dutta, who's making his feature film debut, he directed some shorts before this and one TV episode, but this was, this is his very first feature-length film, I think he does an amazing job. And there were parts of this film that were so scary that I actually had to put my hands over my eyes. And that's always, to me, the good sign of a legitimately scary film. And this film probably scared me a lot more than some bigger-budget horror films that have come out recently, especially those in the Conjuring universe. And also, as a side note, I might note that The Nun 2 is out in theaters right now and has been for a couple of weeks. I haven't seen it yet, and I don't... It's, it's kind of one of those things where I sort of want to see it to, have, to give you guys something to discuss on this show, but at the same time, whenever I see The Nun 2 in theaters, I think to myself, if I have to, I'll see this if there's absolutely nothing else to see. But I'm glad I saw It Lives Inside. It it certainly does follow a, a certain formula that's typical of movies where there's just a normal person who knows somebody who's been haunted by a paranormal entity, and then something happens to that person who's been haunted, and then the main protagonist gets haunted himself, or in this case, herself, and she begins to struggle with the same kind of entity. It's happened in so many other horror films before, 
movies like The Ring and Smile come particularly to mind. Those are probably amongst the most recent films. But I did really appreciate the tying into Indian culture and folklore that this film took, which I really think makes it stand out from other films that follow the same kind of Hollywood horror film formula. And also, the actors in this film are excellent. Megan Suri, who has been acting for quite some time, but this is her first major lead role, is amazing here as Samhita. And there's also a great supporting performance here by Neera Bajwa, who plays her mother, Purna, who is living in the United States, but also is very true to her Indian culture. And there that for, forms a certain tension between the two of them, where Sam asks her mother, if you love India so much, why did you move us to the United States? It's a very good point. And again, it's also one of those things that you you know any adolescent, particularly an adolescent child of an immigrant parent, would ask their parents. It is a valid question, and it also has some immaturity, but it's also a very realistic part of this film that I think grounds it in reality in a very good way. There's also an excellent performance here by Betty Gabriel, who plays Sam's teacher and confidant by the name of Joyce. And I also loved some of the other film techniques here. For example, there are a couple of scenes where the actress Megan Suri is on a dolly that is on its uh, that that's going down a hallway, and the the camera is has her front and center as she's on this dolly. It's one of the classic shots that Spike Lee uses at least once in many of his films. And while I can't exactly say that Bishal Dutta it was directly influenced by Spike Lee, I would imagine, or it's, at least it's an educated guess, that Spike Lee was one of Bishal Dutta's influences. And the fact that Bishal Dutta can actually incorporate some of these film techniques that Spike Lee has used and has undoubtedly borrowed from other filmmakers that came before him into this film certainly shows that Bishal Dutta is on the right track for in, in terms of his filmmaking career. So it lives inside has some parts of this film that are not as scary as they could have been. But I think that also the, the storytelling, the acting and the weaving in Indian culture and folklore makes this film stand out from other similarly themed films, which is why I give it lives inside my rating of a knockout. I think it is an incredibly impressive feature film debut by Bishal Dutta. He certainly got the right cast. He used the right special effects a lot of the time. And It Lives Inside could potentially have a sequel. I think it would be a welcome sequel if and only if Bishal Dutta is directing and maybe if he has some hand in the writing process like he did for this film. But hopefully this is not a unique horror film that Hollywood ends up milking to death. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. And now that I've reviewed all the movies that I have to review for you for this show, it's now time for me to get into my final sec section, which is what's coming up next. This is a spoken word preview of movies that are subject to being released in theaters for the week of October 2nd through October 6th, 
2023. And if I have time, I'm also going to give you a spoken word preview of the movies that are coming out on streaming for that week as well. And there are many. But there are a few movies that are coming out on October 1st, 2023, which is a Sunday. And I'm just going to go through them very quickly because it's unlikely that these films will be coming out in a theater near you. There is a biography by the name of Speed, and it's spelled, well, it's, it's initials, so it's, it's suggested that Speed is an acronym, so, and I, I think I've pretty much explained that for you. It's written and directed by Nick Peterson, stars Alex Hall, Vincent X. Hall, and a narrator who's only, na- who's only known as Old Nick. And this film is a biography, but it's not exactly clear whether or not it's a documentary. And it's also four hours long. So chances are you probably won't be seeing this in a theater near you. It's probably going to be coming out on streaming. But as of right now, I don't know what streaming platform. But it's unlikely I'm going to be seeing this film. There, The second film that is subject to being released in theaters on October 1st is a movie that's called Dreams of Darkness. And this film, Dreams of Darkness is about a man by the name of Derek Fabry who, devastated by the disappearance of his wife, enters a nightmarish world of the occult, erotic evil, and supernatural seduction as he tries to unravel the mystery of her vanishing. The movie was directed by Nikolai Malden, and the script was co-written by Nikolai Malden and Miles John Dalton, the latter of whom also stars in this movie, along with... Pia Bertucci and Renee Domens, amongst other people. This is a film that looks to be a horror thriller, but it's fortunately shorter than Speed at one hour and 21 minutes, but I doubt that I'm going to be seeing this film as well. And the last film that is subject to being released in theaters on October 1st is a film that's called The Idiots, and this is an alternative historical time travel of Britain, which is directed and written by Nick Peterson, and this guy, Old Nick, serves as a narrator for this film as well. So these look like random films, but I, it, it's it's doubtful I'm going to be seeing those even in theaters, let alone go out of my way to see them. So on October 6th, which is a Friday, there are a number of noteworthy films that will be released in theaters. The biggest one, right in time for Halloween, is The Exorcist Believer. This is a sequel or one of the sequels to the classic 1973 film that was the last film to be, uh, that was a horror film that was nominated for Best Picture. And of course, The Exorcist is a classic film, a great film to watch on Halloween, which is ironic because The Exorcist actually came out during the holiday season in 1973, but still, it had a really big impact on pop culture as well as uh, the people who saw it who literally went right back to church. And there have been a number of sequels to The Exorcist which have been lukewarmly received. There was Exorcist II, The Heretic, which came out in 1977. There was The Exorcist Three that starred George C. Scott that came out in 1990. There was Exorcist The Beginning, which came out in 2004. There was one film called Dominic, which was a prequel to The Exorcist that came out in 2005. And that was pretty much it for the sequels to The Exorcist. There was a parody of The Exorcist that came out in 1990, which also starred Linda Blair, that was called Repossessed, which also co-starred Leslie Nielsen. And if you haven't heard of that film, and I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it, It probably goes to show you how funny the film was, especially when you have a classic comic actor like Leslie Nielsen in the film, and not many people have seen that film as they've seen the Naked Gun trilogy, for example. But regardless, this film, Exorcist Believe, is directed by David Gordon Green. And David Gordon Green has previously directed a number of films. He started out by directing George Washington back in... 2003, and he's directed a number of indie and mainstream films since then. He also directed the new Halloween trilogy with Jamie Lee Curtis, starting with Halloween in 2018, 
Halloween kills in 2021 and Halloween ends in 2022. And I didn't think that trilogy was particularly great, but I have liked some other films of David Gordon Green, especially some of the comedies he's directed like Pineapple Express, for example. But I would be interested to see what he does with The Exorcist. Um, and maybe it'll be a little truer to the original 1973 film that is 50 years old this year uh, compared to some other uh, sequels that have come out. But unlike the other sequels, Ellen Burstyn is coming back here as the character she played in the original Exorcist, Chris McNeil, who is not only the mother of Reagan McNeil, but she was also a famous movie actress who was residing in Washington, D.C. as her daughter was inexplicably being possessed by the devil. And there are some other uh, notable actors in this film as well. There is Anne Dowd, who's not exactly a household name, but she was in what I think is the scariest film of last decade, which was the film Hereditary. She had a major supporting role in that film. And while she herself wasn't particularly scary, she was excellent in that film. And Hereditary was a film that was snubbed for Oscars. And I could get into that a little bit more. But the point is that The Exorcist Believe is a film that, oh, excuse me, Believer is a film that looks very promising and has a promising cast in it. And I could mention some of the other actors in the film as well, like Jennifer Nettles and Leslie Odom Jr., amongst other people. But this is a film that I will see. I'm not going to guarantee that it's going to be good, and I'm not going to guarantee that I'm going to love it, but I will see it, and I'll let you know what I think on a future show. Another film that is subject to being released in theaters on October 6, 2023, is a movie that's called Foe. And this film looks like it's going to be under the radar compared to The Exorcist Believer, but it is also going to be released exclusively in theaters and may serve as an alternative to people who don't want to be scared out of their wits by seeing The Exorcist Believer, potentially. But it's about two people by the name of Hen and Junior, and Hen and Junior are played by Saoirse Ronan and Paul Mescal, respectively. And the two of them are... Um, farming on a secluded piece of land that has been in Junior's family for generations, but their quiet life is thrown into turmoil when an uninvited stranger shows up at their door with a startling proposal. So already from the description here, it sounds like a lot of tropes that I've seen in sci-fi films and especially horror films before, but the genres of this film are, as they're listed on my my research template, drama, sci-fi, and thriller, but interestingly enough, not horror. Some of the other people who star in this film include Aaron Pierre, Jordan Chodziesner, excuse me for mispronouncing that name, if I did, William Freeman, and Jalen Ong, amongst other people. But Saoirse Ronan is definitely the most well-known of the actors in this film. I've heard of Paul Mescal, too, but I'm much more familiar with Saoirse Ronan. So this film looks like it's very promising. I probably will see it, and I'll let you know what I think on a future show. Another film that is subject to being released in theaters is a film that's called Royal Hotel. This will be released in theaters or subject to be released in theaters on October 6th. And this film stars Julia Garner, who is not exactly a household name, but she's already had some very strong supporting performances in some TV shows that I actually have seen. For instance, one of the best films I've seen her in, or excuse me, one of the best acting roles in which I've seen her has actually not been in a movie, even though she's been in some big films recently, but she had a great supporting performance in the show Ozark, where she played... Missouri native Ruth Langmore and she is actually a native of New York City but she had me completely convinced that she was a native of the Ozark part of Missouri she was also in another really good miniseries that was called Inventing Anna which co-starred or rather starred Anna Chalumsky and this is where she played a car artist who came off as a German heiress when actually not only was she not an heiress, she also wasn't German. She was excellent in that film as well. 
And you're, you're going to be seeing Julia Garner a lot more, probably on film in addition to being on TV. She's an excellent actress. But the movie she's in that's, that's subject to being released in theaters on October 6th is a film called The Royal Hotel, and it's about two American backpackers named Hannah and Liv. Hannah is played by Julia Garner, and Liv is played by Jessica Henwick, who's also a very good actress. And they take a job in a remote Australian pub for some extra cash and are confronted with a bunch of unruly locals in a situation that grows rapidly out of their control. This film is labeled a thriller, and it's directed by and co-written by Kitty Green. And it sounds like one of those films that is a thriller but has some horror elements to it. I'd be very interested to see this film, not just because Julia Garner is in it, but if I see it, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. And one of the last films that I'll mention that's subject to being released in theaters on October 6th, which you may see in a theater near you, but there's no guarantee, is a film that's called Cat People. Oh, excuse me, Cat Person. Cat People is another film that was directed by Paul Schrader that came out uh, earlier. And I don't think that Cat Person is a remake of that film. In fact, according to my notes, it isn't. But it's about a college sophomore by the name of Margot who goes on a date with the older Robert who, and then finds out that in real life, Robert doesn't live up to the Robert she has been flirting with over text. Do they ever? Uh, and it's this film is a razor-sharp exploration of the horrors of dating, or at least the horrors of virtual dating. Uh, this film is categorized as a drama and thriller, it's directed by Susanna Vogel, and the stars of the film include Emilia Jones, Nicholas Braun, Geraldine Viswanathan, and, here's a familiar name, Isabella Rossellini. It's kind of like the, the more I go down the list of, or the roster of actors, the more familiar actors come to mind. And after Isabella Rossellini is billed Hope Davis, with whom I am very familiar as well. So this is a film that I can't guarantee I'm going to be seeing in theaters. It premiered at this year's Sundance Film Festival, but if I see it, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. And I'm now going to get into my second section of the segment, What's Coming Up Next, where I give you a spoken word preview of movies that are subject to being released on streaming for the week of October 2nd through October 6th, 2023. And there are some noteworthy movies that are coming out, particularly on Netflix that week. On Wednesday, October 1st, there are going to be two films that are Netflix originals that are going to be premiering. The first one is a dramatized film, which is called Keys to the Heart. And this is a film that is a foreign film, presumably from South Korea. And I'm not going to even pronounce the name of the original title, but the English title is Keys to the Heart. And it's about a washed-up boxer who reunites with his estranged brother, who is a pianist with savant syndrome, which I can presume to be autism. So this is a film that certainly sounds like it's tugging at the heartstrings. And I don't know any of the actors who are in this film, so I'm not going to go down the roster of actors who are in this film. But it looks like it's a promising film. And uh, if I see it, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. The original documentary that's going to be premiering on Netflix on Wednesday, October 4th, is a film that's called Race to the Summit. And that is a documentary, as I said, and I'm just getting the description of it right now. It is a film about fearless alpine climbers, Yuli Steck and Danny Arnold, who enter into a death-defying rivalry to set speed records on the screen on the Swiss Alps' great 
North Faces. These are some of these daredevils who live for this kind of thrill, and it kind of makes me wonder, why do people do this? And the reason they do it is because the pain is worth it to them. Are they crazy? Eh, Arguably, but it sounds like a very intriguing documentary, and if I see it, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. On Thursday, October 5th, there is a film that will be premiering that is a Netflix original, and it is called Kufia, K-H-U-F-I-Y-A, K-H-U-F-I-Y-A, and this film is presumably out of Southeast Asia. It is directed by Vishal Bardwaj, and it is about a woman by the name of Krishna Mera, who is an operative, who's an operative at India, excuse me, at an Indian spy agency known as R and A W. She is assigned to track down the mole selling India's defense secrets while all along grappling with her dual identity as a spy and a lover. And what's interesting is the, the woman who plays the spy is a woman by the name of Taboo. Yeah, that, that's her name, T-A-B-U. That's a great name for somebody who is playing a spy, but she's not playing herself, but still, that, that, that's a great name. Even, even though it's an Indian name and it doesn't mean the same thing that Taboo does in English, it's still, it still could be the name of a great spy protagonist. But regardless, this film, Kufia, is premiering on Netflix on Thursday, October 5th, And if I see it, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. And on Friday, October 6th, there will be three films that will be premiering on Netflix, and all of them are Netflix originals. The first movie is a film that's called Ballerina, which is a very hard name to pronounce. And from what I gather, according to my notes, Ballerina is... Oh, I'm sorry. There's a film that's called Ballerina that's coming out in 2024. That's That stars Ana de Armas and Keanu Reeves. But the Ballerina film that will be coming out in 2023 is a Netflix original that's also a foreign film. And I presume that it is a Chinese film. But I don't know for sure. And it's about an ex-bodyguard who, grieving the loss of a best friend she couldn't protect, sets out to fulfill her dear friend's last wish. Sweet Revenge. Now, I'll remind you again, this film is called Ballerina. And it's about next bodyguard who wants revenge on her best friend who was killed. She must also be a ballerina too. I don't exactly know. But that's a spoken word preview for you. It's a film that's directed by Chung Hwan Lee and stars Jian jung Park Yurim, and Ji-Hoon Kim. None of whom I've heard of, but that's okay. But Ballerina looks like a very strong film. If I, see, if I see it, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. Another film that will be premiering on Friday, October 6th, that is a Netflix original, is a film that's called A Deadly Invitation, which sounds like a thriller. And according to my research, it is. It is also what looks to be an Italian film, and it is directed by J.M. Craviotto. And it's about a woman by the name of Olivia Uriarty, who is recently divorced from her fifth husband <clears throat> and completely ruined. Intent on preventing the impending decline, Olivia hatches a detailed plan to bring about her death, or rather, her murder. Now, this film is not only a mystery thriller, as you might expect, it's also a comedy. But man, it sounds like a really unique film. Because, yeah, um, why this woman has been married five times, I don't exactly know. The star of this film is Maribel Verdu, who looks to be no older than 45. So for her to be in her mid-40s and be divorced five times is incredible. It'd be one thing if she were in her 70s. That would actually be, well, it would show that... (laughs) Uh, She certainly had a lot of time to get divorced from five husbands, but why you would want to be divorced five times, I don't exactly know. That's that's the amount of times Elizabeth Taylor has been divorced, 
and will probably be the amount of times Jennifer Lopez will live to get divorced as well. But, of course, Jennifer Lopez is in her 50s right now, so she has had a lot of time to exercise her bad taste in men. But, of course, that's another story for another time. But A Deadly Invitation sounds like a more unique film than Ballerina. Is it a better film? I can't exactly say. But it's a film that I'll look out for. And if I review it for you on next week's show, excuse me, if I see it, I'll review it for you on next week's show. And the final film that is subject to being released on Netflix on Friday, October 6th, is a movie that's called Fair Play. And Fair Play is a film that also does not look like it has a cast that's familiar to a lot of American audiences. The director of this film is Chloe Domont, and this may be a foreign film. I don't exactly know, but it certainly has a lot of actors in it that are not familiar to Western audiences, or at least your average Western audiences. But it's about an unexpected promotion at a cutthroat hedge fund that pushes a young couple's relationship to the brink, threatening to unravel far more than their recent engagement. This film is a drama, mystery, and thriller. And the stars of the film include Phoebe Dianavor, Alden Ehrenreich, Eddie Marson, and Rich Summer, amongst other people. And I can't exactly say whether or not this is a foreign film. I don't have that information for you right now. But it sounds like it's delving into some very heavy topics here. There are actually a couple of American actors in this film with whom I am familiar, but maybe it's an American film. I don't exactly know, but it certainly looks like a very intriguing film. And if I do see this film, I'll let you know what I think on a future show, but I can't exactly guarantee that it's going to be next week's show because I take higher priority now for films that are released in theaters than I do for films that are released on streaming. That is not to say that I don't watch films on streaming because you know I do. But the films that are released in theaters take a higher priority for me. But again, I'll let you know what I think about these movies and maybe others on my next show. That just about does it for this episode of Words on Film. Words on Film is the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures, and I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke, reminding you that the views and opinions expressed on Words on Film about movies or other topics are solely those of your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. They do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of any employees or volunteers who are working at WBCA or the station as a whole. Until I watch a whole bunch of brand new movies, this is Dan Burke saying I'll see you at the movies.